0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. In our second segment today, we'll be speaking with a guest we've been hoping to bring you for quite some time. Dr. Alfred W. McCoy is the author of the 1972 classic, The Politics of Heroin in Southeast Asia. This study of arms, drugs, and intelligence agencies and how they're all interwoven uh, really has stood the test of time as a classic of American political writing. We were reminded of our desire to bring you Dr. McCoy by Nick Sho's article, which was originally printed in the Orange County Weekly and was reprinted locally here in the Sacramento News and Review. Nick uh, Sho took a different look at uh, the story of Vang Pao, the Hmong general who has been apparently raising some funds to try and overthrow the communist government currently ensconced over in Laos. This has been much in the news of late, particularly regarding the large protests down at City Hall here in Sacramento from General Vang's supporters. The whole thing is quite a curious story, and we're looking forward to talking about that in segment two. And in our third segment today, we're going to have a brief talk with uh, Stuart Wexler, a researcher into the uh, matter of the assassination of our 35th president. We'll have a thing or two to say about our interview a few weeks back with Vincent Bugliosi. But let us commence the program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which is June 28th. On this date in 1914, Francis Ferdinand, Austrian Archduke, and heir apparent of his uncle, Emperor Francis Joseph of Austria-Hungary, was assassinated in Sarajevo by Serbian nationalist Gavrilo Princip. The assassination of Francis Ferdinand and his wife was the first of a series of events that would lead to World War I. It would so happen that that event would officially end five years later on June 28, 1919, with the signing of the Treaty of Versailles. And on June 28. 1978, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in Regents of the University of California versus Bakke that the use of quotas in affirmative action programs was not permissible. So it was that Alan Bakke, under order of the United States Supreme Court, entered medical school here at UC Davis. And just for the record, friends of mine who were classmates of Mr. Bakke, now Dr. Bakke, say he was a pretty nice guy. Our quote of the day comes from Werner von Braun, who once said, Crash programs fail because they're based on the theory that with nine women pregnant, you can get a baby in a month. For our quips of the day, and we have three today, let us begin with the immortal Lily Tomlin, who once said, I always wanted to be somebody, but I should have been more specific. Second quote comes from author Douglas Adams he of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fame. Mr. Adams once said, A common mistake people make when trying to design something completely foolproof is to underestimate the ingenuity of complete fools. And finally, a British politician named Enoch Powell once said, Politicians who complain about the press are like sailors complaining about the weather. Our statistic of the day comes from USA Today, which notes that the sales of rap albums are in steep decline. Evidently, sales of rap CDs this year are down 33% from 2006, and in 2006, they were 21% off the year before. Hip-hop artists blame record industry commercialization of the genre, while music industry analysts say that white teens have simply tired of lyrics about the street life, hoes, and bling. To which this correspondent says, oh, please, please let it be so. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, last week was a good week for Vindicating Historians. When two new Italian studies appeared, which supported the contention of the Greek historian Herodotus, that Italians in the Tuscany area of Italy originally came from Turkey. It was Herodotus who had written that the Etruscans, who dominated much of the Mediterranean region before the Roman era, came from Lydia originally, which is now part of Turkey. Modern scholars have long scoffed at this claim, saying that the ancestors of today's Tuscans evolved locally. But these two new genetic studies in Italy support a Turkish connection. Studies of mitochondrial DNA of Tuscan women shows that they resemble their counterparts in modern Turkey far more closely than in other parts of Italy. Herodotus has long been regarded as one of the most amusing historians of all time, but his accuracy has frequently been called into question. But it looks as though maybe he was better than people have been giving him credit. And we do have a soft spot for Herodotus because on our original appearance on KDVS, we read a lengthy quote from one of his original works, which, uh, you know, 2,500 years later is still pretty doggone funny. We don't have time to review that today, but uh, we'll bring it back at some future point. Last week uh, may have been a bad week for humanity after an exhibition of Sir Isaac Newton's private papers opened at Jerusalem's Hebrew University. Sir Isaac, considered uh, by almost universally as the greatest scientist who ever lived, did also have an interest in Bible prophecy. And according to the exhibit in Jerusalem, a 1704 letter from Newton predicted the end of the world in 2060 based on his close study of the Scriptures. Mitigating this item somewhat is the fact that Sir Isaac Newton's record, as, uh, as regards Bible prophecy, appears to be considerably less accurate than the work he did in the field of physics. And finally, last week was an ugly week, a truly ugly week for neighborliness after a teenager recovering from a car crash in a German hospital's intensive care unit unplugged the life support machine of the man in the next bed because its incessant beeping was keeping him awake. It was reported that, fortunately, nurses were on hand to reconnect the man and thus save his life. And no, here at Radio Parallax, we have no evidence to connect this teenager to Donald Trump. And from the Only in America file, we have some good news from the Washington, D.C. Superior Court wherein Roy Pearson Jr.'s legal case against his Korean dry cleaners was thrown out of court. In case you haven't heard about this, Pearson, age 57, was a lawyer and administrative law judge in D.C. He sued the custom cleaners in our nation's capital for $54 million. Over a pair of lost pants, he had altered for $10.50. Writing in the Boston Globe, reporter Jeff Jacoby said that when Roy Pearson Jr. broke down in tears on the witness stand a couple weeks back, describing the moment, he realized his Korean dry cleaners had misplaced one of his estimated 60 pairs of pants. He said it sounded like a scene from Borat. The judge in the case ruled that Pearson failed to prove that the pants custom cleaners had been holding for him since 2005 were not the Hickey Freeman pants that he brought in to be let out. Pearson uh, tried the novel legal argument that the satisfaction guaranteed sign hanging in the defendant's store constituted an act of fraud for which he and all other customers should be handsomely compensated. Although it appears in this case it would be mostly he, uh, Judge Pearson, (laughs) who would be getting the money. This, of course, was a, uh, was a, a terrible example of the I'll-see-you-in-court mindset that seems to pervade America, but uh, fortunately in this case, common sense carried the day. The court felt that arguing that satisfaction guaranteed meant that no matter how unreasonable a demand you might make on the establishment, they were still required to uh, guarantee your satisfaction uh, was not, was not going to fly. But an interesting aside to this article, the New York Times in an editorial wrote that, uh, that conservative advocates of tort reform have been known to change their tune when they feel that they are the injured party. They took a case in point of conservative hero Robert Bork, a man who failed to get in the Supreme Court back in 1993. Although uh, Judge Bork was uh, known for his complaining about uh, how accident victims filing lawsuits uh, can result in lottery-like windfalls, that turns out that was all before he spoke at the Yale Club last year and fell on his way to the dais. He injured his leg and bumped his head in the accident. And although he was able to deliver the speech anyhow, he then turned around and sued the Yale Club for $1 million, claiming there should have been steps up to the dais and a handrail. The Times, it looks like the old cliche that a conservative is a liberal who's been mugged has a corollary. A tort plaintiff is a tort reformer who's slipped and fallen at the Yale Club. Be that as it may, this correspondent thinks this nation is in dire need of tort reform to protect us from the Roy Pearson Juniors of the world. As for Mr. Pearson, his his term as a judge expired in April, and D.C. Mayor Adrian Fentley uh, is uh, (laughs) taking his time about deciding whether he wants to appoint him to fill a full 10-year term. And uh, right now, doesn't look good. And we'd like to note another uh, potential example of America's legal terrorism uh, related to an editorial in the Sacramento Bee last week, noting that the National Park Service is considering removing the cables from the backside of Half Dome after a Sunnyvale man named Hirofumi Nohara slipped and fell to his death off of the apparatus, which allows one to make the last 400 feet of climb up to the top of the celebrated half-dome in Yosemite Valley, uh, with the assistance of cables and boards. Noted the B, a lawyer with one successful wrongful death lawsuit against the National Park Service could conceivably retire the half-dome cables. Noted the paper, if they do that, uh, it will likely lead to countless attempts by the truly foolish to climb up half-dome's side without the cables. I don't know. When I was a student at this university many years back, we went to Yosemite Valley, made that climb from the valley floor to the top of Half Dome, uh, went up on those cables. It, it, is, it is dangerous. The potential for uh, injury or loss of life is there, but uh, you know, most people make this trek successfully and are able to enjoy a spectacular view from the top of the dome, and, and we hope that uh, the Park Service does not remove the cables. Of course, we, uh, we hold no monopoly on wackiness here in the U.S. A. Uh, noted a following quote from China, uh, from a man named Heng Tinghan, who was accused of virtually enslaving workers in Hongtong County, which is in Shaanxi province. In his own defense, Mr. Heng said, I felt it was a fairly small thing, just hitting and swearing at the workers and not giving them wages. And and yeah, I mean, how could workers object to that? And uh, the Dutch are almost always good for a laugh. Uh, Apparently, millions of viewers in the Netherlands a couple weeks back tuned in to watch a reality show in which they could choose which of three dying patients was to receive a donor's healthy kidney. The big donor show wasn't as tacky as it sounds, though, because it turned out it was all a hoax. Producers wanted to raise awareness of the dire shortage of organ donors, and apparently the ruse worked. TV station BBN, which aired the program, said that 18,000 people downloaded organ donor forms from their website that very night, said the uh, Dutch education minister Ronald Plusterk. The show was a fantastic stunt. A considerably less fantastic stunt, we think, (laughs) comes from... Our own Vice President Dick Cheney, who apparently said uh, last week that he was going to refuse to comply with a request from the National Archives to hand over classified documents. Despite the the fact that uh, the the Vice President, like every other employee of the executive branch, is required to meet this request to hand over these documents, uh, Dick Cheney's decided the rule does not include him or his staff which caused ABC News to ask, Civics Quiz, is Cheney part of the executive branch? Commenting, you might think the answer's obvious, but apparently it's not to Vice President Dick Cheney. Here's the part I like the most. Apparently at a White House press briefing, Deputy Press Secretary Dana Perino was asked if the president believes Cheney is part of the executive branch. Perino responded, I think that's an interesting constitutional question, and I think that lots of people can debate it. We at Radio Parallax think, no, no, there's not a great deal to debate about here. We agree with uh, Anna Marie Cox, the Washington editor of Time.com, who said, quote, perhaps next he will say that he is not subject to the laws of gravity either. He'll just float away to some undisclosed location. Noted ABC, the vice president's non-compliance with the National Archives request plays right into the widely caricatured idea that that he is some sort of shadowy supervillain. Noting that on The Daily Show, Jon Stewart casts Dick Cheney as Batman's nemesis, the Penguin. Meanwhile, over on Capitol Hill, uh... Representative Rahm Emanuel, Democrat of Illinois, is saying, well, he's acting as if he's unaccountable, a whole fourth branch of government unto himself. So my view is, if you're not in the executive branch, we shouldn't fund you as the executive branch. So will Congress actually stop funding uh, Dick Cheney's uh, office? We doubt it, but (laughs) one can hope. We are glad to see that uh, this episode involving the vice president is so absurd it actually made page one of the B. Although the headline missed the point slightly by saying, Cheney defies order on classified records. It's right there in the sub-headline. VP claims office isn't part of the executive branch. Resists rules on handling secrets. And unfortunately, of course, this led the next day to the White House saying that, that like Vice President Dick Cheney's office, President Bush's office is exempt from a presidential order requiring government agencies that handle classified national security information to submit to oversight by an independent federal watchdog. This does remind us of that quip uh, from a couple years back, you know, when Dick Cheney had another heart attack, someone pointed out, hey, you know, if something happens to Cheney, Bush could become president. And on that note, let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Stay tuned for our talk with Professor Alfred W. McCoy to follow momentarily.